0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I was driving through a very busy suburb the other day, one that I had never been through before. And if you're ever doing that and you're trying to navigate your way through, sometimes you can't see three streets ahead and actually know that that turn is the one that you actually are meant to take. Sometimes your Google or whatever navigation you're using tells you to turn left in 300 meters down you know, Johnson Street. However, you're driving, you think, has, has it been 300 meters yet? Do I take this next left? Is it that one? You start indicating, you realize it's not, and then you're actually taking the next exit. It can be really stressful. With NavMen, one of the important things that I've learned very quickly is that in their navigation units, they don't just tell you to turn in 300 meters. You can get landmark guidance. You can get advanced lane guidance to make sure you're in the right lane, to make sure you take the right exit or the right turn. But even just being told to turn left after the service station, it makes it clear. You're not just trying to read a street sign at the last minute to make sure you're making the right turn. Navman's actually making sure you're having simple directions as though someone is sitting next to you, someone who really knows the suburb, even if you don't, and they're making sure you take the right turns. It's a really important thing, especially if you're someone who can get stressed out if you are getting lost or if you're running late. There are a number of factors that can make driving from A to B a little stressful, And something like a Navman GPS unit can actually make a lot of sense. Now, the Cruise 550 MT is one that I've tested before. We're talking about a $180 unit, a big five-inch display, all the maps are included with your free live traffic and so on. It really is the kind of navigation unit that you should have or consider if you're someone who's either getting lost a lot or even spending a lot of time on the road. Head to the NAVMAN website, navman.com.au, check out the entire range, including my favorites, which have the dash cam built into the back as well. Let's get on with the show. Jeff multi-Australian in Sydney. Tech expert, Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now it's time to talk technology with Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. And Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever it is to try listening to Australia's number one technology podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I have a glass of Shiraz in front of me today. And it's actually, I think, I think the bottle actually came from Aldi. So we're not talking about an expensive bottle here. We're looking about 19 bucks. Bottle of Shiraz, Blackstone Paddock. It's Barossa Valley, which is my favorite place to get any kind of Shiraz. And honestly, this speaks to, to its truth pretty well. It's a pretty decent bottle of red that honestly, if you're opening on a Wednesday, Thursday, Monday night, you wouldn't be upset. Would you have it as the big celebration, Shiraz, that you wanted to have with all your family and friends? Maybe not. Maybe you could invest a little bit more, but for 20 bucks, it's pretty good. I kind of want to have a steak right now because I think it would go perfectly with a big, juicy steak. Now, I don't have that steak, but I do have a lot of tech stuff to get through today. We're going to talk uh, quite a bit about artificial intelligence again. Yes, we've talked about ChatGPT in its own form on OpenAI, but we're actually going to talk about how Microsoft and now Google are integrating it into their search products. Yes, Microsoft had their own search platform. We just don't use it. It's called Bing. We'll get into that. Uh, We're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk a little bit about music music and the reason is is that ai has ventured into that and i'll touch on that in just a second but before i do the last thing that we'll talk about on the show today is my nbn upgrade now for those who've been listening to the show for for a while you'd know that around 18 months or so ago i moved i moved to 15 acres something i desperately didn't really need um plenty of land and with that came pretty poor internet connectivity um my nbn at my street has been upgraded and I just had it run to the home, and I'll tell you all about that process, what it was like, um, the, the whole lot, and the experience I now have today. It literally happened today, um, and that way, if you're out there and you're someone who is struggling with your internet, wondering what the, the, the path forward may look like, I've got a bit of a story to tell you on that one. So, but without further ado, I want you to hear something. Have a listen to this. China. Now, what you just heard was British indie rock. Ten seconds of that kind of music sampled, but guess what? It was entirely created by artificial intelligence. Let me say that again. The guitars, the vocals, everything is fake. Not real. Not a real person. That piece of audio is original content and could be Repurposed, could be used for me. I'm not worried about licensing. Um, That's my piece of audio that I've generated, around 10 seconds worth. Uh, That right there is what is going to scare a lot of the music industry. Now, go back and press that backwards 30 seconds thing and have a listen to it again. The vocals don't actually mean anything. It's gibberish. They don't have real words. When I asked for a sample of British indie rock to be created, it didn't really know what to say. So the vocals are garbage, but it's real music. And you can see they tried to sing something. It's just not English. And you try to use Google Translate, it doesn't recognize the language. Here's the important thing. Artificial intelligence can now make music. And by a simple line, a simple text string, you can generate music. Now, you may think, well, why would I? I've got Spotify and there are artists out there who make fantastic music, and that is 100% true. But have a listen to this one. Now that one is motivational music for sport. There's no lyrics. So yes, there was a little bit of wording in there at the time, but you could generate it to not have words. And then you start to think, well, hang on, now I could potentially generate my own music that I would use in videos or montages or anything like that and not be hit with copyright breaches or issues like that. How many people have tried to put something on Instagram, which was maybe just a montage of pictures from their holiday, they used some music. And then they got flagged for copyright and they realized, oh, the video must be taken down or the song cannot be used or there is a problem there. Imagine having your own original music to go along with your holiday photos or your wedding or whatever it could be. That special moment could have its own song and you could generate it and create it exactly as you want it to be. And I say that because there is literally a way that you can just type in motivational music for sports, generate. And then you could type in What kind of instruments you would like used or anything like that. There are literally so many samples out there that you can easily generate and listen to. But a futuristic nightclub, accordion EDM, whatever you can possibly think of, there will be a way of creating content for that. And that to me is is quite fascinating. There's an example that they have also done um, with this music thing where they've actually used artwork. And I said, well, if I've got a piece of artwork, I will type in the description of the artwork and generate audio that match the image. So for example, you know, a painting done by Picasso, if you took the description of that painting, you know, triangles and squares all mashed together to make a picture and you put that into a Music LM, which is the AI tool, it could generate music that would hopefully sound like it should look from an artistic perspective. So if you think about what artists may actually do when you're looking at a piece of artwork and how you can then match another sense with the visual experience, that would be pretty amazing. So music through artificial intelligence is here. We will now wait for it to hit that level of maturity, like we've now seen with ChatGPT. And to me, this is the point. That music which you heard, not that great, not that good. The lyrics certainly don't make any sense, but it's a start. It's a start of artificial intelligence having listened to all the different music that's on the internet tagged, and then memorized so that when you ask for something, it knows how to create it. That's crazy. There is a computer that can create music. There's no strings. There's no music lessons. It's crazy. Speaking of crazy, we talked about ChatGPT so many times over the last few weeks. It feels like I'm not done talking about it, but it feels like we certainly do talk about it a lot. And it's now really hitting that sort of mainstream level. And it's, and it's become a bit more important in, in some ways because Microsoft made a huge investment into ChatGPT. And Google, I think I said this before, Google must have already had something in the works around ChatGPT. But had they been the first to announce it, people would have said it was creepy. When ChatGPT first came out, it was considered cool because it was just a very simple website that wasn't owned by big tech, wasn't seen as anything else. It was just spreading itself over the internet, learning everything so that you could ask a natural language question and get a natural language response from this tool. And this is what's, what's now important is you've now got Microsoft, which has made a heavy investment into it. They've now launched Bing. Yeah, Bing is their search engine. They've now launched Bing with chat capabilities. And that basically means this, that now you can go onto Bing and I encourage you to do this, go to bing.com. I can't believe we've forgotten so much about Bing already. Uh, but there is a way to ask real questions, get complete answers. And it's kind of simple. You can go into Bing and you can say, create a three course menu for um, a 50th birthday party. You could say, Um, what art ideas can I create with my kid? Or you could just literally ask it a random question. And normally those kinds of questions would show really poor search results. If you asked a question like that, it will be looking for web pages that have those words in it. But you're asking a chat tool to now perform an action, not just to research and pull something out of its library, actually to use the library to provide information back to you. So what I mean by that is this, in the past, when we would take, take it back 20 years, 30 years, you'd walk into a library, you'd walk up to the librarian and you say, dear librarian, I've got an assignment on volcanoes. Can you please help me with that? And she would, or he, I should say, uh, would then go to the shelf and say, well, here are the six books and could give you a book to then go and read. Or they may actually say, well, I've actually read this one and I can tell you that page 72 has something really important that you're going to love to hear about, I can tell you a little bit about it. You may then have a conversation with the librarian about that book and they may tell you more about it. They may then move that conversation from volcanoes to tidal waves and there might be a book or a way that you can hear about that. That kind of conversation is effectively what Bing is building into their search. That's effectively how they're going to leverage ChatGPT to allow you to not just to search by content or keywords, but actually to gain an action from it. Now, a librarian won't normally help you write a poem, but you can get Bing to write you a poem. Um, But you can have a, a conversation. It's now a conversation that you'll probably have with a librarian or someone you're trying to get help from, and you can now do that through Bing. A pretty big move for them to just completely go out and launch that and get that ready for people to start using immediately. Clearly, Microsoft was already thinking about this. Otherwise, it would have been a very hard thing to just simply go and deliver. Within the same week, Google. Google decides to come in and they announce a competitor to ChatGPT. So they're not going to use ChatGPT for their own. They're actually going to build their own. And that's a, that's a, that's a good thing, I think, because it's good to have competitors in this space. We know there's already some issues with ChatGPT. Um, one quick example I'll give you, and I don't want to get political, but there is a very quick example. I can go on ChatGPT today and I will say, write me a funny poem about Donald Trump. And the first line that it will give me is that ChatGPT does not give opinions on political um, situations and things like that. And then it might give me a poem based on what it's found online. But if I ask the same question for Joe Biden, it doesn't give me that um, political opinion-based flag. It just gives me a poem. And it's actually a very positive one. So there is bias built into these artificial intelligence tools, and there is simply bias because it's been created by somebody. Behind every AI tool is a human being. Behind everything an AI learns are human beings. If you think about an AI tool learning from everything that's on the internet, who put that stuff on the internet? We did. If ChatGPT gets to a point that it starts scraping podcasts for information, then I am effectively feeding that AI tool, thus helping it inform somebody else. So if it's only learning from what it hears online, then obviously it can only spruok what it does hear online. And that's a risk in itself. And it's something that I just need to keep my eye on and anybody else should when they're using tools like this. So Google said they're going to use their own. Their competitor name is called Bard. B-A-R-D. I guess it's like Bird, but they changed the I to an A. I'm sure they have somewhere explained why it's called Bard, but it's nowhere near—it's nowhere near as cool sounding as ChatGPT. Um, Google really stuffed up the name on that one. Bard is a crap name. If that's the name of my AI tool, I'd be like, dear AI tool or dear Bard, come up with a better name for yourself, and let's see what result it gives you. I'm sure it didn't name itself. I'm sure they didn't Google didn't give it the chance to name itself. Uh, however, Google being the biggest name in search having their own tool to compete with ChatGPT and Microsoft and so on makes a lot of sense. They are using it. Yes, they're using it for some of those reasons that I explained, but they're actually using it to help generate context. So if if you ask me a question, sometimes I get asked questions all the time, Jeff, what smartphone should I buy? I never have a concrete answer that's uniform for everybody. Because if you're 80 years old, if you're 80 years old or 14, there may be a different answer that I would give you. If you, if I would probably say, well, it depends. How much do you want to spend? What apps do you normally use? What do you plan on doing with the device? What's the most important feature on a smartphone? These questions that I would give back to you create context. And that context then helps me give you the right answer. Google wants to use BARD for context. They want to use it so that they can make sure that if they're going to give you an answer, it's not going to be irrelevant to you. And I say that because what if I go into Google and say, um, where should my mates go for a good night out? Well, if it doesn't know where I live um, or how old I am or what I'm usually into, then how is it really going to give me a good recommendation? I don't want to hear about um, you know a bunch of restaurants in Italy if I'm in Australia. Kind of not going to be helpful for a good night out. That sounds like a bit of a holiday. So BARD is going to really help bring context to your searches so that when you are asking questions, when you are doing research, it knows how to answer those, well, it depends type of questions. And it may actually start to do that. It may come back to you with, before I answer that, can you tell me a little bit more about this? Can you tell me a bit more about that? And as you feed it, it will help, I guess, filter the results and the output that you might get. Now, one of the problems that happened during the, uh, the Google launch, and I said this before, I said that the reason that Google couldn't have launched this first is because of A, the scrutiny they would get, as in it's creepy, um, but also this. So during the launch, there was a question that was asked to this tool called BARD. And it was about um, what was the first telescope to take a photo of planets or something like that. And it gave this answer about the James something or other telescope. Immediately, $140 140 billion dollars was wiped from their stock price because in the demo it got the answer wrong. It wasn't actually that telescope, it was some other telescope. And someone put, called it out on Twitter, it went viral and their stock plummeted based on that. This is why Google could not be first to launch a AI tool like ChatGPT because this level of scrutiny has happened already on Chat GPT, where answers have been incorrect, where th- mistakes have been made, where political bias has already been identified. But they're not copying it. Google, being the giant that is launching in this way, they will cop so much flack for any mistake, any error, any bias, anything like that, far and beyond any other tool, because of how big they are and the expectations being so great. So already? Google is starting to feel what, it, what it's now like to take this next move. And as they start to go forward and as people start to think it's creepy or whatever like that, then we'll start to feel what impact it's going to have on Google and how they'll change their direction. You know, one of the big things that we know is that there's this whole right to be forgotten. There's this whole pressure around privacy and things like that. How much are they going to do to limit Google from an AI perspective and limit what capabilities it could have? Because the more you feed the engine, the more it actually helps you so there's that there's that problem the other thing that i saw today which which seems like a challenge that Google's now going to have to face is given that in the past when you googled something it would show you a bunch of websites and it would be like well these websites might help you with that restaurant you're looking to find in sydney you click on that on that website you would go to that page you would read more about it and so on google was seen as a as a search engine that would help generate web traffic if your website appeared in those search results You've got traffic that might lead to more business more clicks that's always a good thing but when google starts to use all of these websites all the information on the websites to answer and solve your problems without you going to those websites website owners and businesses might start getting frustrated because less people need to go to the websites to actually find out information and google is now using all that information to keep the user on their website so what does that mean Well, it may mean that there are some websites in the future that say, I don't want to be part of artificial intelligence scraping my site. I don't want AI to learn from me. And it could be, imagine if I had my own tech website and I wrote reviews there and things like that. And then someone used an AI tool to say, what was the Samsung Galaxy S23 like? And it said what what it was, but it was all doing that based on my website. I didn't get a click from that and that will upset people so that's going to be an interesting thing to start seeing playing out now uh, again when when the big tech stands up and says this is what we're going to do someone else is going to have to face the face the heat and it's now google's turn all right let's talk about the nbn if you're not in australia probably doesn't apply to you there may be some factors that do but not necessarily so good afternoon good evening good morning i'll speak to you soon australians stay tuned Now, after making a move um, from one suburb to another and realizing how bad the internet is where I live now, there was a couple of things that we did. So first of all, uh, yes, I had NBN at this property and it was um, copper. So copper from the house to the street. And I was at best able to get around 30 meg down, 5 meg up. Really crappy internet speeds. Um, good enough for me to actually manage to work from home still. Not really when you've got other people streaming or anything like that. But enough for me to work from home. It still allowed me to have a smart home in some sense, but definitely some limitations. I had tested a Telstra five G modem and found faster, much faster download speeds through five G, which was where I live as well, which I got lucky by. Um, I could have gone to Starlink as an option. Didn't want to spend the money on the on the satellite and the high monthly cost, but Starlink could have been a, a potential better option. There was also an NBN upgrade option. And if you do not have fiber in your street that you can be using to um, connect to the NBN, you can actually request it and potentially pay for it. Early on after moving, I got a quote, $20,000 to have nbn fiber run down my street to my home i didn't go ahead with that i actually did say yes go ahead but in the comments i said i'm not paying for it Um, however leading up to the election we saw nbn contractors in the street and those nbn contractors obviously went up and said g'day wanted to offer them a bottle of water and any biscuits if they needed help Uh, they told me that they were running fiber down the street. Not because of me, just because it was part of their rollout plan. Now, if you're somebody who is still on a fiber to the node NBN connection, this is what stage two of the NBN looks like. Stage two of the NBN rollout is anyone on fiber to the node being upgraded to full fiber to the premises. And that means well and above 100 megabits of download speeds, should you want it. Now, after they did all of the backhaul of the fiber in the street, I received a notification that an upgrade is available if I want it. Now, this is the important part because, as I said, stage two of the NBN rollout is to bring fiber into your street. It isn't to bring it to your home. It will only be brought to your home if you are committing to a fast plan. And what that means is that if you're on a 50 meg NBN plan and you're happily being serviced by fiber to the node, you won't be upgraded. You'll have copper line running into your home, you'll have your modem, and you'll continue to operate on that. But if you're someone like me who wishes to have more speed, they will run fiber from the street to your house. But once that backhaul is completed, they'll run the fiber to your house as long as you agree to sign up to a 100 meg plan or above. So once you say yes, I'm happy to go with 100. That would be fantastic. They then deploy the technicians and the work begins to finish that sort of last few meters, depending on how far you live from the street. Now, in my case, within a few days, I had somebody um, appearing at my house. And the it's interesting because you're you're going through your telco, so you know whether you're with Aussie Broadband, Telstra, whoever you do your deal through them and you say, yep, I'm ready to upgrade. And they say, great, what speed would you like? And you get presented with all the speeds that you'll have available with fiber. I went for 500 meg down, 50 meg up. 500 slash 50 was the plan I chose, which is crazy compared to the 30 meg that I was receiving. And then I got an email saying, no worries, we'll see you on the 9th of February to do the internal connection, make sure you're home. But before that, the NBN people will actually be coming to your house. You won't need to be home because they're just doing things in the front yard and whatnot to run the fiber to the house itself. I was home. So interestingly, like the next day or the day after me saying, yep, let's book it. Let's go ahead. I had somebody come do a quick walkthrough from where the street is all the way to my power board or my MDF, whatever you want to call that, on the side of your house Um, just to see where all the existing copper line comes and things like that. I then had a team, maybe two people, but it was a team of two people um, come out and they were trying to run the fiber cable from the street to the side of my home. They actually ended up having to dig a hole uh, in my front, yard, which was a little annoying because I do like my grass, but there was someone that they had to dig a hole because they reckon there was a kink in the conduit or something like that. And they're having trouble feeding it through. Uh, They fixed that and they managed to run the fiber all the way. Then you have a little box on the side of your house. Now, when we were looking for homes originally, that was the first thing I would look for when I was doing a house inspection. Is that little fiber NBN box sitting on the side of the house? Because if so, I'm going to be happy with my internet. Uh, I knew this house didn't have it when we moved in. That was the sacrifice I made. But now I had that gray box on the side of my house. Happy days. Today, NBN day. I'm ready. I'm awake. I'm dressed. Had my breakfast. Waiting for the technician to arrive. I get the SMS saying your technician is on his way. Fantastic. Technician rings me. I'm lost. No worries. I'll guide you to the house. Do you need me to pick you up? Do you need a Do you need a coffee? I'll come and get you. He makes it here. We then go into my home and I say, look, on where my office is. On the opposite wall is where they've terminated the fiber. I would like you to bring the fiber into my home. And this is the this is an important point here. You can just let the technician put the internal NBN box wherever they like, but you're going to live there. So maybe you should have some say as to where this mounted box on the wall gets installed. Where that mounted box is, is where the modem goes and that's probably where your router will also go. So it's an important decision to make if you're going to live there for a period of time. I asked him if you could bring it into my office uh, and he said, maybe I said, okay, that's a promising start. I said, can you put it in this section near my desk? He said, don't know. We can try. And then I said, okay, what about option three? Could you put it in the wardrobe in my office? And he said, absolutely. I said, oh, that's that's much more promising. Let's do that one. So I said, go ahead and do it. Top shelf in the wardrobe, top corner. That means that it's coming down from the ceiling. The fiber will come down from the ceiling and my modem and router can go in there. It's completely closed off. Happy days. Within an hour or so, it was done. I actually helped a little bit. He had to run the fiber um, up the wall from the outside into the ceiling and then across the ceiling cavity and down into the wardrobe, literally from the ceiling inside the wardrobe into the modem that he's then installed on the wall. Um, There's no PowerPoint in there. I've got an extension cord at the moment. We'll have a Sparky come and sort that out, put a PowerPoint right next to it. Nice and neat installation. After doing that, he tests the line. He says, this is a great connection, nice and clean. Everything looks happy-go-lucky. And he says, you should be good to go. I literally go and get my, um, my Orbi, plug it in. Okay, Wi-Fi is back up. The one thing I had to do, because the modem is an NBN modem, uh, I had to actually set my Orbi up with my NBN credentials. So uh, my provider sent me a text immediately like literally the second he says oh yeah it looks like the sync is now working i receive a text saying here is your username and password to get connected okay great i log into my orbi change that to authenticate type in the username and password that my provider has now given me and i'm online incredibly easy incredibly easy and i say that not just as someone who kind of knew what they were doing but the gentleman who came was brilliant got everything working very quickly. The communication from my ISP was brilliant. And the technician who came was from the NBN. So, you know, you've got the NBN, who's the wholesaler, working really well with their Internet providers. And the experience felt seamless. And away I was done. So same Wi-Fi password, didn't have to do anything different because my router is still the same. It's just the Internet, the backhaul, that's actually changed. So quick speed test. What did I get? Uh, well over 500 megabits per second, just under 50 megabits per second upload. Uh, I'm very happy. I'm super, super happy. I now live in a rural area with speeds five times faster than I had where I used to live. Now, I say that because I've chosen a 500 meg plan. Do I need 500 meg? Absolutely not. But I'm going to ride the Ferrari while I have it. And then once, I, once all of that calms down, I will probably actually downscale back to 200 or 100 meg because, you know, the reality is I don't really need 500 meg download speeds. Um, but... You know, when you suffer on thirty for a while, it's like when you go camping. You want to spoil yourself a little bit after you get out of that camping situation. I'm doing that bit. I'm spoiling myself, having the spa day, and then I go back to living a normal life at some point, as well. So that's been my NBN upgrade experience, and I honestly couldn't be happier. And I think if you're someone who has got fibre to the node, do go to the NBN website, register your address, make sure the NBN knows that you're someone who's ready to upgrade once it's available and then they will keep you updated with emails to make sure you know about it once that does happen. If you don't see the people in the street to hassle, at least the NBN can, up- can let you know when an upgrade is ready to go because the reality is when I talked to the neighbors, they had no idea. They had no idea because they had never registered their interest. It was not something that they knew about. I had told them um, what they'll probably re- start to receive in the mail is letters from Internet providers and so on saying, hey, do you know that your address can now be upgraded? Do you want faster speeds? Sign up with us. There'll be a lot of that going on. Uh, I don't think I'll get that because, hey, I've moved over already. So that's my NBN upgrade story. Um, That's it. That's the podcast. That's all I had on my agenda. I hope you have a great week. Look after yourselves. I have got, um, I will quickly say, I have got the Galaxy S23 Ultra in my hand. It's literally been 24 hours. Uh, I have been taking 200 megapixel photos and zooming in 100 times. I'm starting to get less excited about the camera, but I want to really cover that properly uh, in a conversation next week. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. If you do have questions about the Galaxy S23 Ultra, please do let me know, especially if you're planning on spending the big bucks and buying one. Uh, I can answer that for you in next week's show. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.